This week, we speak with Jay Durga from Circor International. In the news segment, a SIM attack in the browser you've never heard of, a CPU side channel with a namespace collision, five important controls and their threat models, and more. Stay tuned for Application Security Weekly. This is a Security Weekly production. False positives suck. With so many mobile apps to test, how much time will you waste on false positives? Eliminate them today with NowSecure. Only NowSecure automates static, dynamic, and interactive testing on real Android and iOS devices. Now you get speed, accuracy, and efficiency for DevOps, plus the broadest coverage of security, compliance, and privacy issues. Why waste time on false positives? Visit securityweekly.com forward slash NowSecure to learn how to scale your mobile AppSec testing with NowSecure. Signal Sciences secures the most important web applications, APIs, and microservices of the world's leading companies, protecting over 7,500 applications and 150 billion production requests per week. Signal Sciences NextGen WAF and RASP help companies increase security and maintain site reliability without sacrificing velocity, all at the lowest total cost of ownership. Signal Sciences patented technology protects any application against any attack with integrations into any DevOps toolchain. Signal Sciences demand more from your WAF. Learn more at signalsciences.com forward slash PSW. Welcome to Application Security Weekly. This is episode 76, recorded September 16th, 2019. I'm your host, Mike Shima, and I'm here with Matt Alderman. Hey, Matt. Happy Monday. Good morning. Happy Monday and good morning. And once again, we have John Kinsella with us. Hey, John. Hey, guys. My favorite people to spend a Monday with. And you're back, and we've missed you for the last couple of weeks. I know, I know. World's traveling. One of these days, it'll stop. Uh, <laughs> we're just going to make you our remote roving correspondent. We're, that will, we'll have an entirely new geographic segment. Hey, can I get a tax write-off for that? Talk to Matt. <laughs> <laughs> we do have some exciting news about the Security Weekly webcast program. We are now partnered with IFC Squared as an official CPE provider. If you attend any of our webcasts, you will be receiving one CPE credit per webcast. Register for one of our upcoming webcasts with Tom Stitt of ExtraHop or Mahul Ravankar of SaltStack or both by going to securityweekly.com slash webcasts. If you have missed any of our previously recorded webcasts, you can find our on-demand library at securityweekly.com slash on-demand. Security Weekly will be at Hacker Halted in Atlanta, Georgia, this October 10th through 11th. If you are attending and would like to sponsor an interview, please submit your interest on our conference request form at securityweekly.com slash booking. EC Council is offering our listeners a $100 discount to attend the two-day conference. Use discount code HH19SW when you register or go to securityweekly.com slash Hacker Halted and register there. Jay Durga works as an IT architect for Circor International, specializing in application security. He started as a programmer and has over 19 years of experience with diverse roles in IT. He has earned a CISSP and is currently pursuing a master's in cybersecurity. 
At this juncture of his career, he's deeply devoted and committed to cybersecurity. He got inspired listening to Security Weekly podcasts, and that motivated him to develop a tool for the OWASP Application Security Verification Standard. Hi, Jay. Thanks for joining us today. Hello. Hello, everyone. It is nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, and thank you for being inspired by listening to the Security Weekly podcast. That's actually pretty exciting to hear. And oh, what's even definitely. cooler is that you've dived into the OWASP ASVS, and you want to share some of that work or with, you know, with the broader community. Um, so why don't we learn a little bit about, uh, maybe let's, we should start with what the ASVS is, and then we can talk about what you've been working on. Yeah, definitely, sure. So, uh, I mean, uh, I was, uh, uh, I mean, I, I have been working in IT from last 19 years, and uh, I was not a security guy. I was started as a programmer, but uh, as I started and uh, uh, working on with various uh, web applications and started uh, embracing diverse roles within the IT, uh, IT. Uh, so uh, it happened to me on one of the engagement. Uh, we did the pen testing of our application. Uh, so that's where I got into the, uh, the I got the first taste of security for uh, during that time, and uh, from there it has been a snowball effect. And uh, uh, yeah, and when I after I got my CSP credentials, uh, I started involving myself more into the security world, and uh, I started listening Security Weekly podcasts on a regular basis. Uh, one of the take I took out of listening to the podcast was giving back to the community community because I learned a lot from community, and it was uh, for my time to do something and. Uh, yeah, this at the same time I was working on uh, looking at the ASVS project, and uh, this started as a fun project for me. I started putting it together in an Excel file, and then it grew uh, so huge. And uh, I thought, you know what, it is something everyone in the community can make use of it, uh, uh, and uh, that's where we are now today. So uh, I have few slides to share with you guys. So hopefully uh, this. Session won't be a uh, death by PPD session, but uh, let's make it in interactive and uh, we'll see what's happening uh, with the ESVS. So are you guys ready for Breaking Bad with the ESVS? Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. For sure. Okay. Uh, so uh, the ESVS, I mean, this is one of the, uh, the application ver security verification standard from OWASP. Uh, it provides the guidance for uh, testing and uh, developers on various security controls we can have in the web application, uh, and also it has uh, it provides like how we can develop securely and how we can operate, and also how we can test those controls. So there are uh, the was uh, project consists of three levels of assurance level uh, one, two, and three. And at the highest level, uh, there are 286 controls and 14 verification topics. So uh, some of the highlights of this version uh, is uh, this version was released earlier this year in the March. Uh, the current version of the project is 4.0. The some there there were few high, uh, changes they made to the project. Uh, so some of them are like uh, um, the Authentication verification uh, controls actually they are completely aligned with uh, NIST 800 uh, 63 standards. Uh, 
when we look at the level one assurance level, it actually meets the requirements of PCI DSS three to one section six point five controls. So, if you are developing any web application which uh, makes use of any payment related information, uh, we de you definitely need to look into this uh, controls set of controls and uh, have those in place in the application. <clears throat> so, in this version, they the OWASP did a good job. They took the big holistic approach and uh, they combined pretty much all the projects into a single platform. Uh, so they have considered uh, secure by design principles, uh, the top 10 was top 10, the proactive controls, everything is baked into this project. Uh, so uh, now you can see pretty much we are not just talking about was top 10 or proactive uh, controls. So it has the, they have taken pretty much everything and put them together. Um, so the advantage of this version is now because it is referring multiple frameworks and standards, so we don't need to go back to NIST or go to PCI. So they are all talking the same language now. So that, that's a very good thing. Um, yeah, I think, Jay, yeah, I think that's a really great thing to emphasize, too, and to add a little bit of maybe history. Like, as you mentioned, ASVS has been around for about 10 years. And... For example, the OWASP top 10 that you that you were mentioning too, the OWASP top 10 is more about here are all the things that can go wrong with an app. <clears throat> and it's sort of like saying, okay, here's some things that go wrong. Now, hey, developers, don't let these things go wrong. Whereas the ASVS says, here are actually some controls that you can start to apply as you're building these applications. And by the way, not only will these controls help you, um, you know, meet PCI requirements, but these controls are also aligning with other standards. They're not trying to reinvent something or be competitive to other standards. And especially, I love the fact that you called out uh, that NIST 863, because that is very much an evidence-based standard around authentication and authorization. And it's the whole reason why we can now finally stop talking about rotating passwords every 90 days and talk about more meaningful controls around um, identity and multi-factor authentication and things like that. So that's just one of the things that I just wanted to, to, to really highlight as you're describing that ASVS. Definitely. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. Um, so apart from those things, there are some good uh, things about this project is they are also including the CW numbers, the, uh, there's a improved controls of our modern applications. When we look at our current technologies, we have so many diverse uh, new technologies. Uh, the, we have containers, APIs. Uh, <coughs> so web applications, uh, the microservices. So they, they, the, all those technologies are considered uh, so it helps us, any DevOps team to come up with a good control sound, uh, the web applications and uh, build a secure application. Yeah, if you look at the number of controls and the number of topics, think about this for a second, right? I mean, PCI DSS has 12 sections. There's 14 sections in this application security standard, right? This kind of a controls matrix. And it's meeting like one part of this broader PCI. So <laughs> from a from a comprehensive standpoint, I mean, this this is pretty deep because this is on a very specific application top application security topic 
uh, and has 286 controls all the way up at, at level three. I mean, this is a really deep dive into prescriptive controls that I don't think we've seen before uh, around application security, which I think is interesting. Yes, definitely. Uh, the Another point I want to highlight with respect to PCI is like when we look at the requirements of PCI uh, section 321, 6.5, they talk about uh, having controls within the applications with respect to uh, OWASP top 10 or SANS 25, uh, where uh, 25 things go things can go wrong with your application. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, ASVS talks much uh, more than that. And uh, it has uh, to come up with a secure application, you have to have 131 controls within the uh, which are uh, spread among 14 different topics. Right. So, uh, if you if you guys want to talk about anything more on this, or we can uh, we can jump onto the uh, Excel tool. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, there is another thing I wanted to highlight. See, when we look at the uh, our traditional secure SDLC process. Uh, and also where exactly ASVS fits in this process. So uh, as you can see from the picture, it is definitely the requirements and testing phases or the um, uh, phases where we can uh, make utilize of uh, the ASVS project. And also, uh, this is not the, uh, in my opinion, actually the ASVS drives the entire process because uh, once you set your requirements, that's what drives the development and design phases. And also the uh, later uh, the testing can, has to perform based on your requirements. Yeah, and I think that's one of the neat things about um, the the preamble to the ASVS. They they have a really good um, explanation of the different levels, level one, two, and three, and, and they start by saying level one is pretty much the baseline. If you're building any type of web application or web-based service, you should be following these controls. And by the way, it's one, you know, there is that verification is part of the ASVS. And they say that they've tried to make most of the controls at level one to be testable from an external perspective, meaning you could take a like external web application penetration test against it. So just have somebody open their browser, point at your API, your service, your website, and they should be able to test and verify that these controls are in place against various um, you know the various scenarios across those 14 categories yes what's more interesting to me or i think what's more beneficial is that they're also really saying don't stop there and also by the way pen testing often just happens to be like that very surface level and that very point in time from an external perspective so once you start to get into level two and level three you need some tools that are part of that continuous process and developers should be incorporating them into that SDLC. So very much the ASVS becomes really apart from, from that whole beginning to end of that life cycle rather than just, we're going to build a website, we'll hire some external penetration test on it, it didn't find any XSS or SQL injection and we'll move on. So that's another thing that is, it's a, it sets a really good tone for how you should, how an organization should be adopting or using ASVS as part of their tools um, or as part of their processes. I think that's also what you were kind of leaning towards here as we start to talk about um, like the spreadsheet and tracking and managing the, the, these aspects of the ASVS. That's correct. So we can we can think of this uh, as a I mean two way uh, two 
ways we can make utilize of this uh, tool. Like one is uh, shift left. So uh, when people are talking about shifting sec security to the left, so we want to bake security right during the requirements phase. So use this tool and come up with a sort of uh, security controls you want to have in place in your application. And that forms the basis for your testing phase. Uh, and second way is, okay, uh, now I am not building an application, but I am getting it from somewhere. But now you can actually go and do the assessment against any of these levels and say, okay, uh, if it meets your needs, yes, you're going ahead with that product or solution. Uh, otherwise, you have to look for something else or so, ask them to fix those um, gaps. So before we bring up that spreadsheet, um, two things. First, for our, our, our listeners, I know I think the majority of the the people who consume this podcast are listeners, not watchers. Um, we do this on YouTube video, you know, every time an episode goes comes out. And in particular, what I want to point out here is is this uh, PowerPoint which uh, Jay has put together. First, you're missing a uh, um, his uh, title slide with complete with Breaking Bad font, but um, he's got some pretty good uh, tables in here and charts, like actually listing through these sections and what's going on. But Jay, what I wanted to hit before we go to that next or two slides for when you come into the spreadsheet. Um, and then hopefully if we get time, I want to come back and talk about how you got into community and that type of thing later. But for right now, I don't think you just got into this for the hell of it. So tell us a little bit about what was the pain point which made you start getting interested in cataloging this stuff and getting active in in um, OWASP in general and in particular ASVS. And, and what, you know, as we talk through this spreadsheet, you know, you just mentioned two examples of, you know, testing vendor product and things like that. But what really was sort of the driver for you? That's sort of for a lot of our listeners sort of when they get some concrete examples that brings things home a little bit. So, uh, I mean, as I told you, so uh, I started diving more and more into security field, uh, mm -hmm. especially with uh, applications, because I am from uh, applications development background. So when I started uh, reading upon and uh, came up, uh, the I mean, everyone talks about OWASP top 10. Uh, that's where it stops. Okay, as long as we are fixing the top 10, uh, we are good. But... Uh, that is not enough, in my opinion. We have to go beyond that because there are so many mistakes we can make with our application uh, during the either development or during um, operations phase. Uh, I call them out-of-band attacks. Uh, for example, the log files. We need to look into the log files, what actually goes into the log files, and also we need to secure them during the production when it goes into the production so, so that only required people have access to that log files because just by going through the log file, I can make out a lot of things about the application, what is happening within the application and how look for weaknesses within the application. Uh, second thing, uh, another thing I can think of is the email communication. We have integrated uh, our application uh, generating auto emails, uh, but we should also monitor who has access to those logs because it, it could give away some of the uh, important information about our application uh, and things like that. So whereas the OWASP top 10 came out really to sort of focus on these are the top things someone needs to be worried about in, in a, you know, while you're two days before you go to production, um, you're actually taking a step back and saying, hey, you know, there's a lot more going on in there. If I can summarize what you're saying and saying, hey, this is, you know, at least have some of these things on your radar. Would that be sort of a fair way to say it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. 
so we should not just look at the wasp top 10 uh, they i mean they they are again point in time and it depends on it is a overall overall picture right they are not looking at specific application or specific industry so uh, th- this is this is uh, we need to look at how we can build secure application so uh, that is where this asvs will really help us uh, design and develop secure applications right from the uh, requirement space and, and that's got to be tough though cuz i can probably you know rattle off all the oasp top 10 but if i'm trying to mentally keep track of 131 controls or twice that if i want to get to level 3 you know how does that you know how how painful that does that become for you as a developer trying to track these controls um let alone on one app and then when you have dozens if not hundreds of apps across the organization yes uh, definitely it is not a one single person job so we have to approach it as a team uh, we have to come together security development team and also operations team and uh, work together uh, towards this because uh, some of the things developers can come up with a good controls whereas some of the uh, controls security team plays a very major role uh, implementing uh, some of the controls so we have to come together and work as a team um, and uh, th- that's the only way we can win this war I think, and to to John's point, then um, you started to. I, I'm going to imagine you started to feel some of these pain points, or you you saw that there was, you know, a need for something beyond just reading the ASVS PDF and trying to track through the controls or trying to apply them. Um, so, what were some of the ways that either, you know, if you would elaborate a little bit more on how you saw developers struggling with understanding the controls, or on the opposite side? Um, being able to make sure developers are actually implementing them. And so when we can actually say, yes, we've actually done 131 out of 131, or we've done at least those that are relevant to this application, and those that aren't relevant, we can mark off as not applicable. Yes, that's a great point. Because well, Let's look at uh, data production verification requirements. So this is talking about uh, how we are going to protect uh, the personal information of uh, the personal information we are collecting from users. So, <clears throat> so we have to make sure uh, we are involving everyone involved in this, making this, this decision because uh, before we even collect, we may need to bring in legal team. We may need to bring in a security team. So uh, it is not just developer who can say, okay, no, you know what? I'm going to, I'm not going to collect uh, email address for or uh, any other personal information so it is we have to take it as a team approach and uh, only then we can come up with a good controls and uh, uh, solve this problem so what about and maybe maybe we 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 keep teasing the spreadsheet we haven't taken a look at it yet um but what about you know here here's maybe a leading question for that you know, I kind of alluded to not all of the controls are necessarily relevant to applications. Some of them may be particularly stateless or they may not be handling particular types of information or for that matter, some of them may not even have like an authenticated um, uh, experience to them. Um, so you, you can narrow things down. So what can you do to sort of approach just tracking all of these, but then when some controls are present, some are absent and some don't need to be there, 
those are three very important distinctions. So how can you sort of get a warm fuzzies, if you will, or a happy face or sad face about the state of your application? So definitely that's where this My Excel tool comes in handy. So you decide and define what is your requirement at the design phase and uh, uh, you track that going forward in your various um, development processes. Uh, so at the initially you will define, okay, these are my controls. These are my uh, controls I want to have in my application and then uh, development team will uh, build those solutions and then uh, testing will come and verify those controls uh, we have defined in the during the requirements phase. Or, so uh, we, we talk about, we say there are 131 controls to achieve level one, but when, when you go and actually take a look at them, uh, some majority of them, we can actually uh, solve those controls using already uh, security solutions we have in place for the CI/CD pipeline. Uh, the majority of them talk about uh, the. Uh, it could be a uh, SQL injection or session management. Uh, so, example the uh, stored cryptography verification. We we already have tools for verifying those controls. So we can knock out majority of them uh, with the already available tools. So there are very few things you will uh, end up with uh, deciding how we want to go, to go about it. Uh, again, we have to take the team approach and see what makes sense for us and uh, uh, see uh, how we can achieve them. Cool. I think there's a lot there in the sense of the um, like native cloud capabilities to take care of some of those controls. Because you're kind of saying that some controls may be difficult to address. Others may be really easy depending on how a cloud provider pre um, presents um, key management application uh, capabilities. Um, and even, for example, going from level two to three, level three has a couple areas around backups and encrypting the backups. And so it's also possible that a lot of the, like if you go cloud native, that a lot of these cloud capabilities can actually help you with that. So that the, the we, we've avoided trying to say that ASVS is a checklist. And I think I want to continue to do that. But the effort in terms of meeting these, these the, the ASVS becomes a lot easier, I think, um, in a lot of cloud environments. And one of the things that ASVS was also saying is they reformulated it and they took it of the approach with the understanding that, yes, we're focused on web, but not all web applications look the same because some of them may be actually in Lambda and serverless. Some of them may be within containers. We do want to address, just like you were saying, the CI-CD process. And so some things can be really easy to take care of. Others might be a little bit harder. And I'm curious if you, Jay, have seen, you know, do you have a favorite um, you know, handful of controls that you turn to that are really good at um, lowering large amounts of risk or that are really, you know, easy to implement and can take care of a lot of risk. So you have even kind of a win-win situation there um, or, or something like that because, you know, there's a lot of controls here and it's not easy for any team to go after every single one uh, very quickly. Yes, uh, I mean, the, I have some few favorite controls around like data protection because that mm -hmm. is very important thing in current world. I mean, when we look at uh, uh, recently, 
if you followed the news like there was a indian app they actually leaked uh, some of the medical information to uh, facebook so that is very imp- data protection is very important uh, in today's world uh, every there are so many integrations with uh, the third party tools and when we download the libraries they might have already baked in some of those features and if you don't go if you don't go and turn it off uh, we will end up with uh, uh messier situation uh, uh, malicious code verification is another uh, good thing we can think of uh, because we don't know we are uh, for a developer uh, as long as the code works uh, doesn't care what else it is doing uh, so that is very very important control we can think of uh, and also the configuration verification as you said there we have so many diverse uh, uh, infrastructure and uh, uh, the cloud technologies are available for developers so we never think about uh, what is open uh, some of the things like which are which go unnoticed are the development environments uh, so uh, because all of our effort is focused on protecting the production uh, we forget about what's happening within the development and uh, testing environment uh, do we do we have the same controls of monitoring no we uh, most of the cases it is not so uh, it is very important to uh, look into development and uh, test environment environments as well so what does it actually look like to you know follow through and and track some of the, you know track adherence to the the ASVS and i think that's what your you know spreadsheet is intended to um to help with. So talk us through a little bit of that and kind of maybe show us a little bit of, you know, how that would benefit someone trying to turn, you know, take knowledge of that, that the ASVS exists, having a, you know, very large PDF and then actually turning it into a program that helps your SDLC. Yes, definitely. So uh, to start with the uh, Excel tool, all you have to do is uh, download my Excel uh, file from my github uh, the link for the uh, excel file is posted in the show notes so that is a very good tool you can start with it uh, second uh, document i would like to highlight is the secure application development guideline uh, which has been put together by my friend at uh, friend drew at from security in 5 podcast so that is very that goes very good with this uh, tool uh, it has lot of references to each control and uh, how it is it is a very good reference document i would say so so the third uh location we can look for asvs is uh, official wasp um project website where we can find all the references and latest happenings with the tool so once you download this excel tool uh, this is actually a macro enabled so okay you, uh, you will have to enable the macro and uh, trust the content Uh, believe, so, so you're not believe, about to fish all our, our uh, users, right? No, no, no. <laughs> definitely not. So uh, trust me, it is not a malicious document. So you, you can uh, trust on me <laughs> and you guys. Actually, uh, I have my test uh, use case was with Drew, who who has tested this uh, tool and he has he has been using in his projects successfully. So that's a very good thing. 
So once you start and open the Excel tool, it is uh, there. There are first thing is uh, there are default configurations you can uh, tweak around as per your needs. Uh, first two are how you want to score show the scores. Uh, for example, you can say up to thirty five percent. I want to show it as red, uh, and anything above seventy percent, I want to show it as green. Or you can change it. Okay, if I want to achieve my compliance, I want to at least anything above ninety percent is what I I I claim to be. It is um, uh, uh, more. I mean, more secure. So then we can change it, and automatically the uh, scores are adjusted and. Uh, Shown in a different color scheme. Uh, the third parameter is the uh, include not applicable in the scoring calculation. So every verification topic has four choices you can select from: pass, fail, not applicable, uh, and uh, uh, three uh, three choices. Sorry. So when you say not applicable, then you want to include that in the scoring calculation or not? Uh, that is what that uh, parameter drives. So, uh, for example, like when we look at the authentication uh, controls, if you if we have delegated the authentication mechanism to uh, any federation service, then we don't need to worry about uh, what controls we need to put in place with re regards to authentication uh, verification requirements. So we can just say not applicable to my uh, set of controls. So the last parameter is not a mandatory, but this is something I put together for a fun. So you can change, actually change the color scheme for the Excel file. Uh, you can change it to uh, uh, the color you like, and then it will automatically change in every sheet. Okay, uh, so once you uh, do this, the next thing is I think I missed this parameter. This is the this is the uh, parameter where you select the ESVS level. Uh, currently, there are three levels, so we have level one and two, one, two, and three. So if you select uh, level one, then the automatically the uh, controls verifications which are not applicable to a particular verification topic, they are all automatically hidden, and uh, all the scores are reset. And the score is automatically recalculated. Uh, so now it became 131 controls. Uh, so then you finally you will go through answering the uh, controls from V1 to V14 and uh, fill up your answers. And uh, the, in the background, the score is automatically calculated in the scorecard. And uh, there is a nice chart is uh, radar chart is uh, drawn automatically. Uh, everything happens in the background. So yeah, that, that's that's all you need to do. Uh, once you have completed answering all the questions and you're happy with your assessment, uh, you can actually export these results out of this tool to a different, uh, uh, I mean, I would call different reporting or uh, uh, different uh, platform if you want. So there are two ways. One is you just uh, plain old copy and paste, uh, copy to different document, and uh, you're good to go. The second option is actually uh, XML export. Uh, so then uh, all you have to do is uh, go to developer two tab and uh, click export. It is automatically exported to XML file. 
and um, when uh, XML is exported, this is how it looks. Um, so then this is very useful if you want to integrate with uh, any of the Jira or ticketing or something like that, uh, where you can integrate and uh, create a tickets based on this. And uh, we can ask developers to fix those issues. Uh, Yes, I could have yeah. a, if I could have a dollar for every time someone asked me if I could automatically uh, import things into Jira, I'd be a very rich man. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this version, <laughs> yes, with this version, I haven't done uh, that integration. But uh, but even manual is great. I'm, I'm just making fun. Um, yeah, yeah. This is so as as Jay's walking through this. Um, I'm not sure about um, the other guys, but I'm I've got a copy that's open here local, and I'm just sort of going through it. This, there's a lot of work in this. Um, a lot of work's been put into this. Um, so I, I highly recommend people download this and, and even just to click around and play with it. Um, this this is this is really well done. This is really cool. Yeah, it gets into a lot of the detail that you need for each of these, right? And as you're filling it out, I, there are two things, right? I mean, one is it's summarizing all the data back, giving you a score. But you have like the mother of all spider graphs uh, on the scorecard, <laughs> which I think is awesome, right? Because everybody wants to figure out how to do that. And when you put it across the 14 domains, it's a visual representation for people to know which sections they're strong in and which sections they're not strong in. And if you think about prioritizing kind of activities to improve your overall maturity when it comes to application security, visually seeing it as a spider graph, I think helps people sometimes go, oh yeah, that whole section on APIs and web service verification, we're not doing very well. We might want to spend a little more time maturing that right and in the spreadsheet then gives you that section and all those requirements to say where where are you off and and helps to give you a little bit of a guideline on which controls you you need to go implement definitely uh you're hit the nail on head um, uh, so uh when we drill down we can actually uh, there are subsections within each of the verification topics so we can actually drill down and see how we are exactly doing with respect to each of those subtopics. Uh, and also we can straight away navigate from this scoring sheet to the respective uh, sheet. Uh, now it will take me th- to the API web service verification requirements and I can see uh, where exactly I'm doing wrong or where exactly I need to improve. Uh, this good thing about is I since I took exact copy of the OWASP uh, PDF document, so it has all those links to various uh, links, uh, OWASP links, where we can actually refer uh, right from this Excel tool. So I can go to this OWASP website right from the tool. Uh, everything is in one place. And also, uh, I have included a reference section, references uh, section in this tool. So each verification topic has its own set of um, uh, reference documents where we can go and take a look how we can tackle those controls. That's and that, that all of that is is a fantastic amount of information that I think also can be self-service for developers and kind of also as Matt was describing now you can visualize your application but you can also then start to do peer comparisons as well as find those trends across multiple applications because you've unified how you're collecting this data and how you're presenting this data. So um, Jay, I think that's a fantastic amount of work that you've done to help, basically to help someone be able to start a program that's actually based on metrics and based on um, 
evidence and what their, you know, what does their application security um, look like? I, one final question I want to throw out for you: What would you, you know, what's next for the um, for for your work here? Is there something that you'd like to call out for some help on, or can we look for something else in a in an upcoming um, version update of your spreadsheet? So the, this uh, this document is completely uh, aligns with the current version of the OWASP SVS 4.0. So and I at this moment I cannot think of any improvements. But if I'm open for anything like a simple thing is okay now we have the XML file. How can I write an easy script to import it into G my Jira? So that's a very good thing. Uh, we can uh, think of uh, s some of the improvements there. Uh, Otherwise, uh, just go and take a look at this Excel file. There are a lot of uh, good things you can uh, make use of for any of your other Excel projects. Because we complain, we complain about Excel a lot. Because but if we do it right, uh, it can be a powerful tool. Yeah, and anybody who's doing the alignment to uh, compliance, you've got the, the the NIST references in here, so you can see how the control lines to certain sections of NIST. Uh, I know PCI is only 3.2.1 and 6.5, I think, but I'd love to know which ones cover which, um, just a recommendation. You also have the old links to the old uh, uh, OWASP as well, which I think is interesting, right? So these are all kind of all linked in the spreadsheet right here in front of us. Yes, it has a links. Uh, I mean, it has a reference to the OWASP. It has a, uh, when we say, look at this control verification topic, it says C1, that's actually proactive control. Uh, so that is a very good thing. Like we have everything is in this Excel tool, so we don't need to go anywhere else for looking around how we can implement or how we can break down these controls. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention, you guys, was uh, how the actually scoring works. So currently, uh, every verification topic is considered as one. Uh, for example, uh, for this verification, if you come up with two controls, and if you fail in one of the control, then the whole verification fails. That means you will uh, lose that. Um, so even though, even though you have accomplished 50% for that verification, but uh, tool doesn't uh, take that into consideration, uh, that is something uh, you may need to uh, keep in mind. Got it. The other interesting part is if you're doing a, a threat model or a risk assessment, you've got all the mappings to the CWEs in here as well. So if you think about doing kind of that upfront, where are the potential threats and risks that you might reference the CWE, now you can go through the spreadsheet and say, show me all the controls that mitigate these potential CWEs because you have that mapping in here as well. And if you're really doing a really good job at uh, risk management or, or threat modeling, there's an interesting way to use that data in the other direction to identify some of those compensating controls. Yes, correct. Yeah, I think Jay, you've, uh, you've put together quite a form, quite a bunch of Excel formulas here, and you've uh, hooked <laughs> up quite a spreadsheet. So I wanted to uh, thank you once again for that. Yes, and, thank um, you. I just want I forgot to tell yeah. you guys one thing. So this actually Excel file has been protected by password. So, but if somebody wants to tweak it around and make it uh, specific to their needs, I'm happy to share that password uh, with any of the people who come up, I mean, ask me, I'm happy to share it. And uh, yeah, uh, make use of it. 
That's so, so, I, so I feel a little quick comments there. I know um, we, we want to, we're running out of time. I want to wrap up. I'd suggest putting that password into the readme. Um, and then as a, you know, looking at this GitHub, you know, we've got, uh, there's ability to put wikis in here, issues in here, pull requests. So, you know, folks, if you want to become part of the community, you don't have to be writing code. So open source isn't purely about software. It could be documentation, could be feedback, could be whatever it is. Um, check out what Jay's done here. Take a look at it. Give him any feedback. Help you know make our, help us all become better people at this type of stuff. Um, he's done a, a great start, but we can uh, so I space to improve. Yeah. I think that's a great point to end on, and wanted to say thanks again, Jay, for um, taking that initiative to build up this kind of community aspect in this work. Um, so that others can take advantage of it, benefit from, as well as build on top of it. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you guys for inviting me. Thank you very much. Cool. And I want to thank Matt and John for joining me as well. And we're going to take a quick break and we'll return with news of the week. Too many alerts and not enough action? It's time to get SaltStack. SaltStack is an intelligent IT automation platform that detects security issues in critical business systems and then actually fixes them. With SaltStack, security and IT teams work together to define custom security policies with certified checks for CIS, DISA-STIGs, and more. You can scan systems for millions of compliance checks in minutes. Remediate compliance and vulnerability issues with powerful automation all in a single platform. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash saltstack to learn more. Make sure your team is prepared to fight off the latest cybersecurity threat. IT Pro TV is the resource to keep you and your IT team skills up to date. You can stream IT Pro TV courses live and on demand, so there's no need to send staff to off-site training. Team subscriptions include Pro Portal, so managers have full control over your team's training schedule. Go to itpro.tv slash ASW and use the code ASW30 to try it free for seven days and receive 30% off your monthly membership. Sysdig is the first cloud-native visibility and security platform that eliminates the need for standalone tools like container security and monitoring. Using Sysdig's unique data approach, enterprises can solve a variety of visibility and security issues at massive enterprise scale for multi- and hybrid cloud environments. Sysdig will enable your organization to scan and block vulnerable images and enforce best practices pre-production, block threats, enforce compliance, and monitor application performance, proactively alert on incidents, reduce MTTR with forensics, and capture detailed audit records, all from a single unified platform. Accelerate your transition to containers and then have confidence in your ongoing operations using Sysdig. To learn more, visit securityweekly.com forward slash Sysdig. Welcome back to Application Security Weekly. I'm your host, Mike Shima, joined by Matt Alderman and John Kinsella. We need your help in a survey we are running for research purposes for an upcoming webcast. Please visit securityweekly.com slash five stages of automation maturity to submit your response to our five stages of automation maturity survey. We will share the results in a webcast in November. Can I script uh, my response to that? If you'd like to, <laughs> cheater. As long as you do it with an Excel macro. <laughs> this year's Compass Cybersecurity Symposium is being held at Twin River Casino in Lincoln, Rhode Island on September 25th, just 15 minutes outside of Providence. The venue has plenty of free and easy parking. Speakers include social engineering expert Chris Hadnagy and Security Weekly podcast founder Paul Asadorian. Use discount code SW2019 to save $20 on registration. 
Well, John, it's great to hear that you're getting back into scripting because um, there's a lot of code bugs that have come up in the in the last week. Let and um, one of the first ones I want to dive into is a, a new SimJacker attack. Last week we had actually talked about Sim and Jack as of Twitter and Sim swaps, um, but this SimJacker attack is actually quite different. Um, it's basically targeting a um, what's called uh, called the the SAT browser, the Sim Alliance Toolbox browser that is actually on a Sim chip. So Sim, the Sims themselves have uh, you know capability to execute code, and part of the code that they can execute is to receive an SMS messages, and basically execute a small set of functions based on those. Some of them, those such functions could be return a location, like your geolocation, could launch a browser, um, could also send messages on from the device. And the, the subtlety here is that these particular SMS control messages um, aren't actually noticeable to the end user. So you don't see them appear within your messaging app, within your handset, and they can do these basically ask that SIM card to do things um, without your knowledge or even your control. And so what this group from um, Adaptive Mobile and their research, um, they've been tracking um, basically malicious actors using these capabilities against um, handsets. And these handsets can be, they basically just have to support this SAT browser on the SIM chip. It doesn't, it's mostly independent of the phone model itself. So Android, iOS, a Pixel or a Huawei or what have you, um, the they are primarily would be vulnerable if the SIM card supports this. So it's pretty interesting, I thought. So I guess my question in this one is, I'm, I'm looking through reading, you know, how do you block this potential attack? And it looks like if the SAP browser's there, there's not, really not much you can do right now because no one's put protections around that SAP browser. So then my question is, <clears throat> does everybody have the SAP browser on their SIM by default and therefore everybody's yes. potentially susceptible? Right. The one thing I haven't figured out yet is, is the SAP browser on the eSIMs, but I believe all so, the physical SIMs have it. In the write-up, supposedly it is on the eSIMs, so yes, <sighs> to, to that answer. Um, one of the things, I, I do have some additional questions. I'd love to see, um, I think it's October 3rd or, that, or early October that, that they're presenting at Virus Bulletin Conference. I will get more details. But they do say, for example, it's used by, it's present on, it's enabled this SAT browser and this SAT protocol um, in at least 30 countries. And it says cumulative population of a billion people. Um, but I don't really know if that actually just means they went to the, you know, the CIA fact book and they added up how many people live in these countries versus number of handsets. Um, so I am curious about the exposure there. And they do point to some work and some recommendations that they've made with the Sim Alliance. So it's not like we, you know, everybody is potentially exposed. Um, there is the a minimum security level as, as part of the uh, it's a term of art within um, the SIM protocol or the SAT protocol that you can say basically enable this particular MSL version 6 at least and that should mitigate a lot of these attacks as well as there's another level that can mitigate um, that has anti-replay controls in it. So 
it's a little bit, I think, more of that aspect of here is a SAP browser, a protocol that really honestly hasn't been touched since 2009. So it hasn't been updated for 10 years. It's not well known, obviously, except those out within um, you know, the mobile industry who are throwing around and understand the terms SS7, SAP browser, and so on. Um, so it's an area that was actually rife for, is with any legacy tech, rife for poking around a discovery of capabilities. Because um, you could also argue these aren't necessarily even, um, you know, they're vulnerability, they're, these are more weaknesses in the protocol, and they're being misused and abused rather than a classic type of here is a buffer overflow or here is a heap overflow within the, the um, what am I trying to say, within the software that just needs a patch update. This is actually a functionality that honestly just needs to um, go away. It needs to be, say, we, we've moved on to better and stronger protocols. But it sounds like we're at the mercy of the our provider to make sure that they've got the SAP browser at a certain level as part of their hardware implementations or whatever, so that, such that we're protected? Yeah, so for very much like we were talking about, like last week we were talking about like SIM swaps. And so we're at the mercy of the providers there from a process perspective that they makes it more difficult for people to conduct social engineering against their customer support. In this case, we're at the technical mercy of the mobile providers to say, hopefully they are filtering out, you know, illegitimate requests, you know, SMS messages like this that are not coming from their own infrastructure or that aren't coming for very specific intended purposes. Um, so yeah, it, right now I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fog around it and uncertainty about am I exposed or am I not exposed. Probably time to start the uh, timer for how long until AT&T has put a product on their website where they'll charge you $5.99 a month to be able to protect you against this. <laughs> there we go. I'm just waiting for an update from my T-Mobile, from T-Mobile and say, look, you need this update. And I, and I guess, and we can't go, it's, it also affects flip phones and even, you know, old school phones that aren't smart. So, you know, this is part of the, the SIM card. So um, we can't even pretend to go back to something obscure to avoid this. That's, um, you know, we go, go talk to your mobile provider and ask them what they're doing. And we'll find out in October at that conference just to see what some more details and updates are. Um, so that, that was about phones. Um, we've also been talking last, um, over the last several months about all kinds of different side channel attacks that come up. And um, have another example of a side channel attack, but I actually wanted to use this as a little bit different focus of the conversation and talk a little bit more about kind of threat modeling and talk about like risk in general. Because here's a case where I will, oh, and I will also say it was this side channel attack was unfortunately named Netcat. So they're very much stepping on the name of a very venerable. Um, network tool as well as hacking tool that has been around since, uh, from my perspective, almost forever. I think, you know, the mid-90s is when it first came up and was initially, you know, hit by antivirus tools as a hacking tool. And now Netcat is a standard part of Linux operating systems, the Mac OS, and so on. Um, but the Netcat side channel we're talking about basically is a way of saying if 
Two servers are taking advantage of the CPU capability to allow remote, like over the network, read-write access to their DRAM. You can use that capability as a side channel to do timing attacks against other processes that are reading, writing into memory. So basically it's saying if you have a lot of privileged access, you can get some more privileged information based on that access. That's not to diminish this the, the work and research that went into this, but it does say that you know when we've talked about Spectre and Meltdown and all these, this vulnerability was acknowledged by Intel, but this went into a bounty of roughly $2,000 as opposed to $100,000. So we have a new side channel, but the sky isn't falling and um, Netcat is still the best name for the hacking slash um, uh, OS tool rather than this side channel. That, that, that will be my stance on it. Yeah. If I remember right, when I was reading on this last week, I believe they had a few people quoted saying that it's more of a theoretical than someone could actually compromise off this. I know timing attacks, we usually say timing attacks are tough, but it sounded like this one was pretty, pretty hard to actually be able to pop. Did you see something different? No, I didn't see anything different. And even, too, there was a little bit of hand-waving around. The, the, the particular scenario they were describing was getting SSH keystrokes. Mm, but yeah. I think really what they were saying is you can time the keystrokes and then prob and then ideally or luckily, perhaps we'll use that word, you can build sort of a um, statistical map of the keyboard and figure out if the timing is close together, it's possibly A, S, and D. But if it's far apart, maybe somebody was hitting the Q followed by a P. Um, so it's not like it's there, there were all actually older vulnerabilities in you know SSH one that would were, were far more egregious types of leaks of information. But in this case, I think it does fall into the theoretical, and a a exploit hasn't been demonstrated that's been effective. Um, but again, that's not to say that, uh, that, you know, the truism is that attacks always get easier, but it's also the case here is, th is where let's make sure that we don't treat all side channels the same and that we do understand our threat models. And if we're already predicated, this attack is already predicated on having read, write, remote, direct memory access to another server. Obviously, our scenario is not like a standard web application or a standard database. We're talking about more like a high-end clustered computing system that could be working on some, you know, um, you know, um, uh, very interesting and sensitive modeling information. You know, doing high-end computing um, across, you know, clustered computing is what I'm trying to say. Um, but you typically don't just hook those up to the internet, have remote SSH you know, access. Those are in hardened, you know, very sandbox environments. And I think kind of I, on that theme of threat modeling, that's sort of why I also want to talk about this other article about the, the top five CIS controls you should implement first. So we've gone from, we had a great conversation with Jay. We were talking, you know, how do you, go, how do you deploy up to 286 controls, if you're following the ASVS, this is the complete other end of the spectrum um, where it's SANS again, and they're just reframing a lot of the work that they've been talking about you know, in the past, just this article calling out five things to do. And um, you know, I think that the, you know, these five things aren't very surprising, um, but they're not necessarily very technical. 
things like security awareness and training program. Yeah, and things like that. Go ahead, uh, Matt. Yeah, and I'm and I'm not even sure these are correct in my opinion because yeah. you know, we when we've looked at kind of the modern frameworks around security out there, you've got the NIST cybersecurity framework and others. What's missing on this list, just glaring for me is inventory of all your hardware and software assets. I mean, how can I do really good continuous vulnerability management if I don't even know what my inventory of hardware and software assets are to do vulnerability management against? That, that's a great point. I think that's one of the, 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 the common themes of the podcast is that we always say, it, it's easy to say, gather your inventory. And we keep you know talking to different guests, talking about different ways of saying, well, how do you actually know where all your services are? How do you even know where all your applications are? And um, yeah, I have to admit, I didn't even think of that when I was going, you know, when I was um, reading through those top five, that's sort of like the duh. Yeah, if you don't even know what you're protecting, then why should, you know, maybe it's a bit premature to be diving into these controls. Yeah, I need to do discovery before I do assessment. I think assessment is right on this list. I think controlling uh, administrative privileges is right. I believe collecting your logs and monitoring them are right and having an incident response program. I just think that whole inventory piece is what really gets us in trouble is because we don't know what we don't know and that's where we're going to get attacked. Yeah. I think it goes both ways, you know, in a way it's, so what I see as we go more cloudy is not just keeping, not just knowing what's out there, but having an up-to-date version of what's out there. I mean, it's pretty common, I mean, pick your example, either like servers come and go or containers come and go, or you've been using Amazon with a 50-person organization for three years, you haven't been really good about tagging who owns what EC2 instance, even if I find a vulnerability, where do I report that back to? So it's it's inventory to start with, but I think it's it's almost it's bigger than that, right? It's it's the curation of of that information which we have, but it's definitely something which needs to be front and center. Yep, that's what I saw missing, glaring glaring hole in that top five list for me. Well, then w- curious about so here is another article about. Um, uh, PSD2, which is it's uh, short for the um, Payment Services Directive. So I think this one is trying to actually close a glaring hole that has been existing in the past with um, online payments. And this is a EU um, uh, generated um, effort. This basically, I, I want to call this out, it's basically a way of saying with online payments, there's two things that the... Um, uh, banks or that that the card the card acquirers wanted to push for basically let's actually have real two factor authentication and let's allow um, with um, consent of the account holder have banks allow access to third parties into the account information so I'm one of the reasons I want to highlight this it sounds kind of niche. But it's important for a couple reasons. One, it's a great thing to be able to see that there is movement into further securing online payments and going on, going beyond just a what's called a card not present transaction where you're typing in a um, credit card number that could have come out of your wallet or could have come out of a uh, you know compromised bag um, of you know a, a virtual bag of compromised cards from some uh, dark website. 
But the other thing is that it also calls out, it has a really interesting kind of threat modeling and risk um, association within it. So for example, it says that, yes, two-factor auth is great and we should have it everywhere, but it's saying there are certain exemptions and these exemptions look like they're, they, you know, they've taken kind of a risk perspective into thought. So they're saying there can be exemption if the transaction is under 30 euros. Um, and so I just thought that was kind of a good exercise in saying, rather than deploying a control and saying we want this control here and everywhere immediately, and then seeing it fail to be adopted, there's good ways to be able to approach it. And maybe there's a you know a way to think as you're approaching the ASVS. How you know what is the risk associated with the application or with the workflow that we're trying to address? And is this control commensurate and the effort to implement this control measure it commensurate with the risk we're trying to avoid or with, you know, what could go wrong or with, you know, the fraud that can happen or with the exploit scenario that could happen. So I kind of wanted to focus at sort of that as kind of a, a thought exercise or a way to talk through, you know, those types of discussions with DevOps teams and security teams about approaching um, de de deploying controls like this. Two comments on this one for me. <clears throat> one is the EU has been ahead of the game on most of this for a while, right? They, with chip and pin, we finally yeah. adopted a version of chip and pin here, but it's it's really chip and SIG. It's not true chip and pin. Here they are looking at card not present fraud and saying, look, I need more than any data that's available on the card. I need a second factor. And so I think this is really interesting for online payments. I mean, MasterCard has done part of their verification program where they required you to log in. It was a royal pain in the butt. I haven't seen that in a while uh, actually work. So this may be the replacement for that to come up with that second factor, which means everybody's going to start to integrate their credit cards with Google authenticators or something. So, so you have a separate token for, for your online payments. But Maybe this isn't a bad thing. And then what we'll see over time is pressure for the U.S. to do something similar because just like with chip and pin, we're going to see, I think, those trends push us here in the U.S. to do something about this is, uh, issue as well. Yeah, yeah the MasterCard, I think the MasterCard thing is still around. I know I ran into Verified by Visa last week in Europe. It seems every time I go over there, I think I've got one only one of my cards is on that so the other cards will get bounced out if i try to use them on i think it's a swiss railway system swiss or german and yeah so that hit me again last week but there's it it's it's interesting how that doesn't get adopted over here in the the states as as um embraced as heavily shall i say um, hopefully that'll change yeah, and that's what, what you were describing, uh, Matt and John. That's that 3D secure version one. Yeah. Um, yeah. What this is also describing is version two of that to basically say it was not only a pain, but you know, one, once you start to make that a pain, people abandon their shopping carts and they don't spend money. And so mm -hmm. merchants absolutely want to be, you know, want people to show up and spend money. Um, what will be interesting is also to see. Does that fraud shift, you know, does more fraud shift from the EU into the U.S. because the U.S. infrastructure um, with, you know, payment terminals is far behind and can't, you know, isn't, doesn't support chip and pin all that great everywhere? Um, or online, the fraud just becomes more prevalent because, you know, U.S.-based merchants aren't pushing for this as much. Um, so it would be interesting it, to see how the data goes. Have you seen any numbers about that that you can talk about, Mike, over the last year or two? About where it's... 
Yeah, unfortunately, no. I don't. I I was looking for something, um, you know, some good references to show. Here is the the type of fraud, um, and and how it's being basically like is a card not present? Because there's also things like um, MageCard, uh, basically kind of a, a JavaScript skimming. So we've gone from the physical world of skimming and putting you know hardware onto like gas pumps um, to steal the the swipe data, the stripe data from um, cards to JavaScript doing essentially the same thing. And if I remember correctly, I believe it was British Airways um, most recently was hit by this and stealing card numbers. Um, but I have those as anecdotes, but I don't have, uh, I'll have to do some follow-up and see what I can find out around um, the what the, you know, um, MasterCard, Visa, what they have said about fraud um, as it relates to like EU, Asia, and the U.S., PCIs this week up in Vancouver. Who knows? Maybe they might have some updated numbers for us. That's true. Let's see what, see what new things come out of PCI. And I think, so I wanted to, um, I threw one more um, article onto the show notes this time. And this, again, I think it's a little bit... Um, you know, it's a little bit higher, higher level. It's kind of just reinforcing the theme, but it's talking about why software development toolmakers should embrace integration. And it's basically saying why every tool out there that you buy should have Jira integration um, to make John happy. And that's basically all you need to know. Yeah, that's it's pretty not making, much it. It's not making me happy. I'm hearing about this <laughs> more and more and more from my customers, right? Like uh, that the day of, of people wanting to come into five or six different UIs is becoming less and less. And we always talk about single pane of glass. But what I'm seeing is these medium to large organizations are starting to build their own pane of glass. So if I can give them an API and let them go either grab the data or in some cases, they'd love me to be able to sort of send them a push. Um, yeah, this is everyone has to start thinking like this. This, this yes. is why we... The integration is so important if we ever want this concept of DevSecOps to, yeah. to come to reality. Without this basic integration, we'll never get there because there's no way developers are going to log into a security tool to get their stuff. And this is just another iteration of software developers, whether you're on the development side of the house or whether you're on the security side of the house, make sure your data can be integrated into other tools because it is going to happen. And if you don't do it, you potentially lock yourself out of some of these uh, organizations. I mean, think about it yeah. from another point of view. You wouldn't have one of your, well, you're probably not going to have any of your employees log into your Oracle financial system to file a expense report, right? So there has to be some way of, of you know, being able to integrate these systems together. I think a lot of other parts of enterprise have been used to it. To a degree, you know, you might have to bring in PwC for five years and have them do the integration. But in a more modern environment, we need to make this as easy as possible for people to plug and play. Yeah, I think it's, it's the idea that if DevOps is all about process, once you take somebody, have to detour out of that well-refined process that they've built, you've just suddenly thrown that friction into it. And, you know, think of it, it too, there, this is the abandoning the shopping cart of DevOps. Once they say, well, I'm, I was going to go check the, the patch levels, but now I have to go open this other application. Or I was going to run this security test, but I have to go here. Or I, you know, I have no idea what the status or, or how to track. I have an alert, but I know, have no idea how to track who it's assigned to or what the status is or even you know, just talk about it. 
all these basic workflows are that's what Jira and you know Jira like things excel at. So why not just leverage what they do well and um, just go and focus on that security data gathering, whatever your tool does, make sure it integrates. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm trying to say. That's how we get there. We don't get there otherwise, guys. I'm just telling you. Because as soon as you slow down the process or add friction to it, dev teams are done. Exactly. You know, just, you know, anecdotally, we'll see, t talk to dev teams that once you slow down the build process alone, you know, devs are, you know, ecstatic. And I think for good reason, because when you can decrease a build time, let's just say, you know, from 30 minutes down to 20 minutes, that extra 10 minutes of wait time doesn't impact one developer, it impacts the whole engineering team. Um, so there's all kinds of really important reasons um, to, you know, to, to make that fast. But those are the highlights I had for, for the last week. So, um, John, I don't know if um, there, there's anything else that, that, that you, as you've been off doing other things and uh, leaving us behind to um, catch up with the world of, of AppSec and DevSecOps, if there's any final, um, any final things you want to share with us or highlight um, as, as yeah. you've been doing. You know, I'm I'm playing with some stuff around on the Windows side, and it's I didn't get into show notes today. I'll have it for the probably for the next um, next week. And uh, but basically, either tools out there which are um, you know the AI tools which are integrating into Visual Studio Code is that my what I use, or or you know how do you get some of these integrations we're just talking about from the analytics back into the shift left on the developer side? How can I tell a developer sooner about there's an issue? Um, so I'm playing with some stuff like that and. Hopefully have some stuff to talk about next week. Awesome. I think Love that's going to be a great it. teaser. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're going to leave you with that cliffhanger. Um, and thank everyone for listening to us today. And hopefully now you'll come back and listen to us next week. I want to thank uh, Matt and John again. And I want to thank Jay for a great interview in the first segment. And so we're going to see everyone next week on Application Security Weekly.